The theocratic kingdom, God's rule over his people. God's rule over his people has taken a number of different forms throughout the development of history. As he has revealed himself in a growing revelation of redemption to his people, he has chosen to rule over them in different ways. At the beginning with Adam, <clears throat> that rule was very clear. He'd come down and walk with them. He'd uh, tell them what to do and what not to do, right? Very direct rule. That must have been wonderful. Have God drop in every day and chat with you. Direct rule. After sin entered into the world, he started to work through families, through a patriarchal priesthood in which a father was a clan priest. He offered up prayers and sacrifices to God on behalf of his children. And we have those kind of people in Job and Noah, Melchizedek, others of that era. Patriarchal priesthood. After that, he started to rule over a particular nation, the nation of Israel. And he ruled through the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then through Moses and the judges and the kings. And that nation was to be a nation of priests and ministering God's revelation to the whole of the world. They never quite caught that, never quite did it. At the time of the life of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming on the scene and he is offering to Israel the option of having him rule over the children of Israel directly as the king here on earth. The message is repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. He is offering to rule over the tri tribes of Israel, to sit on the throne of David his father, and see Israel become the chief nation in the world. He is making that offer. The life of Christ is the systematic offer of that kind of rule to the children of Israel. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he is offering to rule over them. Now he will begin to take that ministry to the province of Galilee, and then to the province of Judea, and then to the province of Perea. And he will say in each of those three provinces, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. In each of those provinces, they will reject the offer. At the close of his ministry, on Tuesday of Passion Week, he tells a story. It is the story of the husbandman and uh, the uh, attempt to kill the son. Do you know that story? Do you know how it goes? Can somebody review it for me? That parable? When your people were managing it, the Lord sent servants earth in various ways, and in the end he said, I will send my sons and managers to the church of the Holy 
that's the end of the story. And Jesus says, okay, I have a question based on that story. What will the landowner do to those wicked husbands? And the Pharisees respond with this. He will put them to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to others who will give fruit in its season. Jesus says, right answer. Today the kingdom is taken from you and given to another nation producing fruit. Have you not read in scripture the very stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner? Today the kingdom is taken from you. You have said no once too often. You have said no in Galilee. You have said no in Judea. You have said no in Perea. You are saying no on this Tuesday of the last week. And we could go on to say that on Friday they will say what? We will not have this man to rule over us. Now, I want somebody uh, to take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And uh, if you would begin reading at about verse 8 for me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8. Okay, that's a very important verse. And Peter is quoting the Old Testament passages, those rock passages, the stone of offense passage of the Psalms and of Isaiah, but he really isn't. He is quoting Jesus quoting that. He is looking at the very passage that Evan related to us where the Lord told a parable, I'm going to take this from you and give it to a nation producing fruit. And Peter, writing on the other side of the day of Pentecost, says about the church, you are that holy nation. He's made you a nation. No, he really hasn't made the church a nation. But you are that people producing fruit. You're the ones the Lord was talking about when he said this theocratic kingdom, this offer I'm making to Israel is going to be withdrawn and it's going to be offered in another form to another people. Did you catch that? In another form to another people. And the form in which God rules over his people presently is the church. Through Christ, the head of the church, and through the elders and deacons relating to the local church or whatever church government happens to be in place. He is ruling over his people through the instrumentality of the body of Christ. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ will come again come and offer the kingdom to Israel. In Matthew 24, again, a Tuesday event, the Olivet Discourse, the Lord Jesus Christ talks about the coming tribulation and says the gospel of the kingdom will again be preached. And this time they will look on him whom they have pierced and repent 
and the kingdom will be established. Now, the flow that we have then in the life of Christ is a history of the offer of that literal, earthly, political monarchy and the rejection of it, the withdrawal of that offer, and God then taking up a work beginning on the day of Pentecost in a different way, in a different form, in a different rule. To be culminated one day by the reoffer of that kingdom. The reason this is not fulfilled, it's not a dark square, is because it was not finalized during the time of the Lord Jesus. It was rejected. That offer of the kingdom has taken place a number of times in the history of the children of Israel. When they stood at Kadesh Barnea and there were 12 spies, what did God tell them to do? Go in and take the land. It's yours. Establish the kingdom, right? Could they have done it? Yes, they could have. They didn't do it. Hebrews tells us because of unbelief, they did not enter it. Heaven tells me you've just been through the book of Hebrews, right? Wonderful book. You remember the rest warning passage, chapters 3 and 4? The author of Hebrews says, look, somebody has to enter into that rest. It's clear they didn't do it at Kadesh Barnea. And Joshua didn't do it because David, writing years later, says what? There remains a rest for the people of God. Somebody's got to enter into that rest. Hasn't come yet. We haven't entered into it. Our job now is to what? Labor. That one day we enter into that millennial rest of God. That's what he's offered. Offered it at Kadesh Barnea. Offered it through Joshua. They didn't do it. He's offering it at the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. They didn't respond positively. Even in the book of Acts, after the church has started, they are preaching, repent, that the time of restoration might come. See, you really slide from one dispensation to another. You don't take a step that's just a quick, abrupt step. And Peter is preaching, repent, for the time of restoration when the church is already underway. One day the kingdom will be offered again. And Israel will look on him, him whom they have pierced and respond. The kind of kingdom we are talking about is this kind of kingdom. It is a literal. By that we mean a kingdom with people on this earth. A literal earthly Political kingdom in the form of a monarchy based upon the promise of Second Samuel 7, thy throne and thy kingdom shall be established forever. Promise made of God to David and his descendants after him. The life of Christ is the rehearsal of the systematic rejection of the offer of the kingdom. It's withdrawal 
by the Lord Jesus Christ. His command then to his disciples at the end to wait. And then go into all the world preaching the gospel that will bind free and bond male and female, Jew and Greek into one new thing, a third race, the body of Christ, a different form of God's rule over his people. And as we study the life of Christ, we are studying that systematic rejection on the part of Israel of the offer of a literal earthly political kingdom. The Apostle Peter will summarize it at, uh, in the book of Acts chapter 4. Pontius Pilate and Herod and the nations and the Jews were gathered together to do whatever thy hand and thy counsel before determined to be done. We know the big picture. That God is working out salvation for all of us. And that involves the rejection of the Messiah on the part of Israel. Prophesied in the Old Testament clearly. There are some interesting passages that, that show this uh, uh, attempt at the offer of the kingdom. It revolves around John the Baptist. The Lord Jesus uh, will say of John the Baptist, this is that Elijah who is to come. If you believe. Later he will say they did to him whatever they desired. They did not believe. What is that called? He is Elijah. He fulfills that prophecy of Malachi chapter 4. If you believe. What's that say? Did he fulfill it? John the Baptist? Did he? He did what he was supposed to do. Did he fulfill the prophecy of Malachi 4? Did they believe? It says, if you believe, he is that prophet. Then it goes on to say, they did to him whatever they pleased. And whatever they please was chop his head off. That's a contingency. There's an if in it. If you do this, this is what will happen. If you believe, the kingdom will come. If you believe this is John the Baptist, the forerunner of the king, Malachi 4 will be fulfilled in him. If you believe. They didn't believe. It wasn't fulfilled. That, consequently, is still future. Do any of you see the big problem with this that we're talking about? There's a big theological problem that's rattling around here. If you believe. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Here comes the literal earthly political kingdom. He's ready to set it up. What's the problem? Knew it wouldn't happen? Can you be stronger than that? More than just no? He ordained it? Yeah. And the rejection was already prophesied, was it not? Do you see the big problem? The big problem is a problem that is everywhere in the Bible. God working, that's part of it. God working out His purposes tugging on the reins of the kings, 
so that they do precisely what he wants to, and they are not even aware of it happening. We call that human free will. I call it a parent human free will. Pontius Pilate inherited the nations and the Jews. That's a great verse. We're gathered together to do whatever thy hand and thy counsel before determined to be done. And they didn't have any idea about it. When, uh, we'll look at this, uh, shortly. When, uh, Caesar decrees a decree that all the world should be taxed, why'd he do that? Was he reading in, in the book of, uh, Micah that night in his, in his family devotions? Oh, look at this. We gotta get this, uh, Joseph and Mary over into Bethlehem. You think so? I don't think so. Why'd he do it? Money. Hey, this is nothing new. You know, hey, we can solve all the problems. More money. So uh, his uh, apparent action of freedom was to say, let's have a, another taxation, which meant moving everybody back to their home country. Now, that's what he was doing. What else was he doing? Just what God wanted him to do. That's right. Didn't have any idea he was doing it. When we come to the crucifixion, and the people are crying out, crucify him. If you go up and interview them, say, why are you saying that? What would they say to you? Ah, we want him to die. He's a phony king. Even his right-hand man said it, and he went and killed himself. He deserves to die. They would not tell you there's some strange force within me. I really want to say, hooray, he's the king. And it comes out, crucify him. And in Acts 2, we read this. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you with your wicked hands have slain. God's eternal plan? Human responsibility for doing what God planned. That's a little bit of a problem. As you come on in the Bible, that really doesn't have an answer. Doesn't have an answer. When we want to say, God, well, if they're doing just what you had planned to do, how can you hold them accountable? You know what he says to us when we ask that question? Oh, you can't ask that question. Isn't that, isn't that frustrating? Look, we've all used that with our children. How many of you have ever said, because I said so? Anybody here ever say that? Hey, well, this is the great because I said so from the sky. I'm God. Leaves us hanging. That is the inherent problem with prophecy, any kind of prophecy. Do you realize that? Any kind of prophecy, whether it's the virgin birth prophecy or or the rejection of, of the Messiah prophecy or the rejection of the kingdom, the offer of the kingdom and the rejection of it, which is prophesied in the Old Testament, it's an inherent problem that says God is working at his thing on his level and we're down here doing exactly what we want to do and they coincide just according to God's plan. It's a great mystery of God's ruling over all things. But this is how it works out. This is the kind of kingdom that is being offered. Now I mentioned there is some geographical development to it and... Uh, I just want to trace that. It's a, a simple movement. This is the map that you have without the markings on it. After some of the preliminary events, the first province to be evangelized is the province of Galilee. 
And the message, message there is repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And we'll take a look at what happens in the Galilean ministry. By the time it's over, he uh, feeds the 5,000, and he uh, gives the bread of life discourse, and they all leave, and he turns to his 12 and says pathetically, are you going to go too? By the end of the Galilean ministry, they had rejected him. He goes up to Judea and has direct confrontation with the Sanhedrin itself. Some very exciting stories take place here. We'll take a look at the story of the blind man. Oh, he's a great guy. You want me to repeat it, he says to the Sanhedrin? Are you going to become disciples of his? (laughs) It's beautiful, you know. And they throw him out of the temple. But there's some heated discussion in that period of time. The last thing you see happening to the Lord in the Judean ministry is they're trying to stone him and he's fleeing down the streets of Jerusalem. He goes over to Perea. Now, Perea is just another term for across Jordan. Whenever you read across Jordan, he is ministering in the province of Perea to the east of the River Jordan. Lots of Jews live there. And it's during this time that his disciples say, Lord, are there few who will be saved? Is anybody going to believe? And the Lord starts anticipating the cross and talks about going out into the highways and hedges. This is a period of time in which Lazarus becomes sick and dies and uh, sets up the last week of our Lord's ministry when he returns to Jerusalem. Now, in between the Galilean and the Judean ministry, there is the specialized ministry or the teaching of the Twelve. After the Galilean ministry, some terrible things had happened. John the Baptist had been imprisoned and executed. They had already determined that they should put Jesus to death, the Sanhedrin had. His friends said he was insane. His relatives were trying to interfere with him. They uh, were angry with him over the breaking of the Sabbath. They said he forgives sins, making himself equal to God, which was blasphemy. And most of all, they had to explain the miracle, and they finally did it by saying, he does this by Beelzebub. A genius explanation. And the Lord says to his twelve, after all of that antagonistic response, let's uh, go away and rest a while. And he takes them away into the Gentile territory of the Decapolis. And there he introduces something that's amazing. This is the uh, time of the transfiguration. And this is the time when... when uh, he says, who do you say that I am? Peter said, I art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Watch Jesus respond there. Good for you, Peter. And on this rock, what? I will build my church. What? Church. And they're scratching their heads. I thought we were saying repent the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, that's right. The interesting thing is this comes between Galilee and Judea. In between, he says, i got a new plan. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Oh, by the way, we have to go on to Judea and preach, repent, the kingdom of God's at hand. 
You think you could do a very good job preaching that? When you knew there was a B plan that was going to be put in, into effect? Alright, I got a message for you guys. Repent, came God's a hand, but you're going to reject because it's a church, you know, and altogether different kind of thing. There's a very important verse, and we'll come to this. One of the verses we never, never memorized. It was hidden from them, lest they should understand. Isn't that an amazing thing? He gives them a revelation. And then all the truth associated with that is hidden from them. On the other side of the day of Pentecost, they have a wonderful aha experience. And they put it all together. And I said, oh, this is, are you going to restore your kingdom now? They say to him, resurrection. He said, you just wait there and you're going to see what I'm going to do. And then they start to understand about the church. And the whole era in which we live uh, is ushered in. All these little ingredients are tucked away in the life of Christ with the balancing statements so that we can understand why the apostles thought the way they did, why they didn't clearly understand it, how it didn't all fit together. The Lord is going around offering that literal, earthly, political kingdom, first to Galilee, then the specialized ministry, then to Judea, then to Perea, then back to Jerusalem for Passion Week, where it looks like we're going to win, and he's crucified. Now I want to pause for some questions. Some of you are saying, what is he talking about? And uh, if you are, I, I want to hear that. Do you, do you get where we're going on this? Any questions or struggles you're having with this at this point? Yes. Right. That's exactly right. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Just like Kadesh Barnea. Just like Joshua could have given it to the children of Israel if they'd have done what they were supposed to. Just like Peter did on this side of Pentecost. All legitimate offers. He was saying, you do it, the kingdom will come right now. Now again, the theological problem is what about all the prophecies of rejection and all the rest of it? Well, that has to work its way out. And that's what we see happening in the life of Christ. That's exactly what I'm saying, right? Not very many. Not very many. The leaders certainly didn't. And when crunch came, he, you know, they, they came for the food and the miracles and all the rest, but not much reality there. Not much reality. And the Lord says, are, yeah, are you going to go away too? And the disciples all the way at the end in the, in the Perean ministry say, Lord, are there few who are going to believe? What's going on here? Now, on the triumphal entry Sunday, it looked really good. looked like we won. But the same crowds who said, Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord to sit upon the throne of David, said, By Friday, crucify him. We don't want this man to rule over us. Fickle crowds. Other questions? Specialized ministry. Teaching of the twelve. Just the disciples. That's when the church revelation comes. Oh, what are you looking at at this point? Oh, 
the the uh, dotted lines on the map. Yeah, this is a, a basic map that has to do with uh, the Galilean ministry itself. Uh, it does not relate to the to the whole of the life of Christ. In the Galilean ministry, the city of Capernaum becomes the base, and all of the movements move out of Capernaum. And this map is that. I'm using it just for the big map to show you where the provinces are. Good question. I'm always fearful with, with the students that they have heard, but it has not registered as to what really is happening. It's just like in the U.S. in 1776, a nation was established with a leader, with New York as the first capital city, with a given territory of land. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. We're not talking about a mysterious believe and you're part of a spiritual kingdom. This is believe in the the spiritual message and the content of that message is the establishment of a literal kingdom uh, from the throne, from the house of David, uh, a throne uh, over the 12 tribes of Israel, capital city, Jerusalem, land of Palestine. Got to get that kind of land in view. Yes. Sure. Sure. Yeah, which is a strong hint. Yeah, that, that's the whole force of, probably not real easily. Uh, Hebrews is tough. You've been through that, obviously. It's a tough section. But what you have in view in Hebrews is God, after he created, entered into rest, where he and his people and nature were in harmony. That's the way it's going to be in the millennium again. Okay, and uh, in each of these instances, okay, here's the land, you're my people, I'm your God, go do it. Wouldn't do it. Now it becomes a hypothetical question. What is he telling them to do at Kadesh Barnea? You go in and take the land, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, I'm going to fulfill the promises I made to you, the Abrahamic covenant, here it is, we're here, let's march. Wouldn't do it. They did not enter in because of unbelief. Happened with Joshua again. They didn't quite pull it off. Same kind of thing that's happening with the Lord. Here it is. The most obvious kind of offer of the kingdom. Now, I'll, I'll try to support this a little more specifically by the enunciations. They become very important theologically where we see what kind of kingdom specifically we are talking about in, in this in this whole offer concept. The, the mistake we make most of the time is we look at the, the Christmas story accounts and we rejoice and enjoy them, but we don't understand the enormous theology that's in it, and that is the kingdom that when he comes in adult life is being offered, the one that is spoken of in all those enunciations. And we'll look at that. How many can we go tonight, Evan? Ten, twelve, one hundred? <laughs> Maybe uh, I could probably do this uh, in, in 10 minutes and we'll look at the enunciations and that'll give us some clearer understanding about what kind of kingdom we're in view, okay? There are a lot of uh, appearances of angels and enunciations and dreams that are full of uh, weighty material theologically. And I just want to look at that 
as we start into the life of Christ. And then once we get this basic working presupposition, we'll look at each of the segments and see that, hey, uh, what, what we have proposed is happening really is supported by what we read in the text of Scripture. In the uh, first statement that we have, Gabriel comes to Zechariah and he says, uh, it's an interesting story, Zechariah is going to be priest, a function as priest for the first time, and as he goes into the uh, first part of the temple, he sees the pieces of uh, furniture, but he sees an angel. Whenever angels talk to human beings, they begin by saying something. Do you know what it is? Fear not. Don't be afraid. They scare people. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers are answered. And he says, you're going to have a son. And this is what it said. He's going to turn the sons of Israel to God. And he's going to prepare the people. And a quote from Malachi chapter 4, verse 6 is made. He's preparing the children of Israel for the coming Messiah. Gabriel comes later to Mary. And this is what he says to Mary, that the child you're going to bear is going to rule on the throne of your father David over the 12 tribes of Israel. That's a Jewish kingdom we're talking about. Mary and Elizabeth come together. And uh, in that response we have, he has helped Israel in fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Joseph has a dream. In that dream, this is going to be the person who delivers Israel. When Zechariah had that big question, uh, Gabriel says, you're not going to talk for nine months. That was a peaceful nine months, ladies, wasn't it? When he finally does talk, he has plenty to say. He says, John the Baptist is preparing for God to redeem his people. To bring salvation for the house of David. To bring deliverance from the nation of Rome. And to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. These are the promises of the coming kingdom. Simeon looks at this little boy and he says, this child is going to be bring revelation to the Gentiles and glory to the nation of Israel because he's going to be the king. He says, now I can die. Anna says, capital city secure. The redemption of Jerusalem she sees in the coming of the Messiah. The wise men come and they say, we have come to worship the king of the Jews. And Herod was not thinking about any mysterious, in-your-heart kind of kingdom. He killed all the male children, lest there be someone who would get his throne. Do you see how strong argument you have out of the Annunciations for the continuation of David's kingdom? That was promised to David. David will write in the Psalms that God said, as long as there is a moon in the sky and stars and sun, 
I will keep my covenant with my nation Israel. I will not turn from that kingdom. It will be fulfilled. And when Jesus says repent, the kingdom is at hand. When John the Baptist breaks on the scene 30 years after all these annunciations and says, here's the kingdom, this is the kingdom he's talking about. You don't throw away the annunciations and say, now it's just a, a kingdom in your hearts. It's that throne of David sitting on the throne of the 12 tribes, ruling over Israel, bringing redemption from Rome, capturing once for all the capital city, Jerusalem, bringing glory to the nation of Israel as they rule over the world. Thirty years goes by, and John the Baptist, spoken of, comes on the scene and says, Repent, that kingdom is at hand. They will say, No in Galilee. No in Judea. No in Perea. Jesus will say, I take it back. To offer it again in another day. Okay? Big picture. Pretty clear. Now, think on that some. Evan. Right. Right. It, it found it's a th both kingdom, both the earthly and the spiritual kingdom would find its authority and source in heaven. But the kingdom, that the issue is dead at that point. He will say to his disciples, do you remember, this is on uh, Thursday night, do you remember when I sent you out and I told you, don't take uh, a bag or two, two clothes or two, uh, two pair of clothes, two pair of shoes? Go forth and say, repent, the kingdom was at hand. He did that in Galilee. He did that in Judea. He said, I'm changing that now. You go get a sword. And they went and got two swords. And the Lord says, they say, here's two swords. The Lord said, that's not enough. I'm not talking about a real sword. Teacher I had said, a, a wooden literalist will give people a severe earache. And uh, they missed the picture. He was saying, before you were going forth as a scepter of the king, repent. The king, with the scepter of the king, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. They've rejected me, guys. Now you're going forth with the identity of a, of an outlaw. You, you got a 38 special on your hip now. You're a rejected person. You're hunted. That's what I am. That's what you're gonna be. They've rejected the kingdom. Advice is different now. No more repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now we have a different message. And he gives different advice for a different period of time. Other questions like this, it, it would help us to hone in on the differences as uh, as we deal with this. Now it'll come clearer as we look at it. Guarantee that. But this is the big picture. Yes. Okay. Well, that comes just after Peter's confession. It's in the specialized ministry. See, this is what be what's beautiful. It all fits. It's in the specialized ministry. And he says, you're Peter on this rock. I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But some of you are standing here. Who will see the kingdom? And it says the next day he takes Peter and James and John, goes up into a high mountain, 
and they see just what the kingdom is going to be like. There are three apostles. There is Elijah Moses from the Old Testament. There's the Lord Jesus in all of his glory. It's a microcosm of what the kingdom is going to be like. All God's saved people together here on earth. And Jesus in his glorified state. That's what the millennium is going to be. Only it's not going to be just the Mount of Transfiguration. It's going to be the whole earth we'll see. He will say, you won't have to teach every man his neighbor. Know the Lord because the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Not going to be a great day. That's the millennial kingdom. And here's a little taste. Some of you will not die until you see that happen. And the three that didn't die were Peter, James, and John. Peter writes about that in Peter. He says, I was with the Lord in the holy man. I saw the glory that's coming of the millennial kingdom. I saw the suffering and then the glory. Okay. I love questions like that because they fit. They fit. Now, some of my best thinking takes place in the middle of the night when I'm wrestling with questions. And I hope I've stimulated you enough to wrestle with some of these questions about this literal, earthly, political kingdom that was rejected according to God's divine purposes, rejected by the children of Israel so that blessing could come to every one of us. Now, what we'll look at tomorrow is the Bible itself. This is just a big structure, okay? And we'll look at it first in those preliminary events, then the Galilean ministry, specialized ministry, Judean ministry, Korean ministry last week. Okay? Let's pray together. Father God, we are thankful that there is a life of Christ to study. We're thankful that you do work all things according to the counsel of your own will. That while Israel rejected him, that was no surprise. Because the uh, blinding in part of Israel has brought salvation to every one of us. And you again will take up that great work with your ancient people and look forward to that day because if, if the rejection brought such blessing to us, what glory will be when Jew and Gentile and church alike recognize the true and living God. We would pray even so. Come, Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.